to have that experience of awe is, at least for the moment, to let go of yourself, to transcend the sense of separation. Many of the great wisdom traditions of the earth have pointed to what we're calling the overview effect. That is to say, they have realized this unity, this oneness of all life on earth and of consciousness and awareness. Hello, Earthlings, and welcome to The Overview Effect with James Perrin, the podcast where we share stories of personal transformation, changes that impact the way we see the world, and oh my goodness, today's guest is just the epitome of that, and he has not one, but two incredible stories to tell. My guest today, Benjamin Berry, is a Wim Hof-trained breathwork instructor, who has had a variety of roles in emergency response and rescue operations. More on that in a moment. The first story Benny shares with us is that of his own personal health journey and his challenges dealing with pain that led him to embodiment and breathwork and resulted in some incredible outcomes that will just blow you away. We talk about the amazing physiological, mental, emotional benefits of this work. And more than that... We talk about the unquantifiable, the intrinsic benefits that we just feel doing this work. Like many things in life, doing this work opened Benny up to seeing the world in a totally different way, and he shares with us that we can't heal the physical body until we heal all of the other parts of the body first. The second story he shares with us is of his experience during the floods here in northern New South Wales in February and March this year. During this time, Benny found himself right in the middle of rescue efforts and leaned on his former background in this area, and he became kind of the reluctant face of the civilian-led rescue operations in the media and on social media. He shares what happened during this time and how his message was taken and skewed by much of the media, but ultimately how that led to this outflowing of generosity and support from across the country. The through line between these two stories is returning to ourselves. From the incredible healing benefits of the breath and our ability to look after ourselves, we can also create community that looks after one another. And this is exactly the work that Benny does. We recorded this conversation in Nuri Bar Hall on Bunjalung Country right after one of Benny's Conscious Club Breath and Ice sessions. I was freezing and shivering still for much of this conversation and I enjoyed it every bit nonetheless and I know you will too but no this will be good this will be good I'm excited maybe we just jump straight in yeah all right let's do it Benny welcome to the show thanks mate thanks for having me thanks for having me here we are in Nuri Bar Hall after being at one of your conscious clubs i got to say it was awesome i've just stopped shivering um but it was amazing man the breath work and the ice work it's only the second time i've done that and i can't believe it's taken me so long to get into it so thank you thank you for having me as part of it this morning mate you're welcome you've found it now and yeah. and that's the main thing yeah you know uh these friday mornings i, I say it to Everyone I come in contact with, it's my favorite day of the week. It's not, it's not so much about being uh, part of my business or 
my strategy or anything like that. It's this is something for me. It's very selfish, but I get to create this community of people who have come in contact with me in, in any way, shape or form through the breathwork, whether it's a workshop or I've done something with their corporate team or whatever. And then they feel connected to it. They come back and yeah, just quick breathe, ice bath, coffee as we just had across the road for an hour. Mm. It seems to, it takes like five minutes, but there's an hour of just chatting and connecting and I love it. Yeah. 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 You, you Creating community is the right way to put it. You mm. are creating a community and it's beautiful to see. And like, you can just, you can just feel it. Like it came here this morning I was super nervous about hopping in the ice again and people are, I think people are picking up on that and they're just coming over and chatting. Oh, how you going? How'd you find the breath work? We're over at, over having a coffee and people are asking, like everyone's connecting, you know, and it's the, the breath and the ice brings us into kind of our being and who we are. It creates the conditions for us to then just connect in a more beautiful way. You know, we're not just talking about the surf and the weather. You know, we're talking about, wow, how was the breath work for you? Oh, I went here and I went here. And there's people I've never met before and they're telling me about this amazing experience they've just had. So it's a beautiful way to connect people together. Oh, connecting is so hard as an adult. Why? Why is that? Why do we do that? Uh, I speak for myself, I suppose. I, uh, being brought up in the way I was brought up, which, uh, you know, would take an hour to explain properly, but classic lower middle class, public schooling, you know, you just, you just get put into a, a cookie cutter. This is the way we act. We're in Australia. Mm. I grew up in Western Sydney, you know, dare I say that, that, that <laughs> phrase. Uh, I loved it. It was great. But um, free thinking or feeling emotions and growing as a human, they're, they're, they're kind of in a structured way. And then we come to adult life and we can, we can choose to um, feel into that and find out who we are or we can just continue down that path and connecting with other adults becomes so hard because we're we're so structured in what we do we we need to have something to connect over you know mm. it's we don't leave ourselves open to connecting for no reason at all and that's what the beautiful thing here is people really want to connect i think you know you get to that point in your life and you're like wow god i I want to expand. So I want to meet new people. I want to hear new things. I want to be open to things. Mm. But you still need that permission in the back of your head to be able to do that. And the thing about the, the Conscious Club here is everyone comes here and wants that. Everyone comes here, a little bit of nervous energy about the ice and it's so early, it's in the dark and we all rock up. We do the breath work and the breath work's almost like the permission. It switches that mm. thinking brain off. Inhibitions about should I do this or should I do that just kind of float away. And like you said, we, we finish the breath work and afterwards it's all chatting about what we experienced or, you know, some people are crying and talking about their week and why they're crying. And, and I feel like that's, that's almost the, the unwritten permission that you get to go that deep and talk to a stranger about why you're crying. It's so beautiful. Yeah. And then we jump in the ice. The ice is, it's so easy and enjoyable after that. Everyone's clapping or hugging afterwards and we have that coffee after and, and that's where the connection happens. It's, it's so much, it's half and half. It's about what happens here in the hall and then half across the road. Yeah. 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 You're right. There's, there's a lot to it. There's like the breath allows us to drop into our, who, you know, us and who we are. Like we, you go through five rounds of the breath work and the, the, the monkey mind goes away or the, the role or the mask that you're wearing drops away and we drop into just 
who we are so that kind of cracks us open as a person and then the ice is like a shared collective challenge as well it's like yeah we've all gone through it this morning you know Mm. we've all faced the ice we've come out of it and we're feeling fucking amped up so those two things together just create this like real bond yeah it's beautiful it's really beautiful just stripping that thinking brain away yeah god we're just ruled by our thoughts we are you know everything everything's a about our thinking brain and where it's driving us to and it's providing thoughts to us Mm. not not often in our life we we listen to those feelings deeper down and allow them to come up that's that's my biggest benefit from the breath work Mm. just getting that thinking brain just to quieten down and and feel those feelings and emotions and feel your heart for once Mm. love it love it love it maybe we go to the question the formal question that i usually start with which is about the overview effect and this idea that um, we can have moments, experiences in our lives, stories that shape us, just like those astronauts that go up into space and talk about that paradigm shift when they see the Earth from space. Have you got a story or an experience in your life that has really changed the way you see the world and how you choose to be in the world? Yeah, I do, mate. I've, I've never really um, delved deep into it apart from with my partner or... Um, or a couple of close mates in my life. And um, when I had the opportunity to come on here and and we connected and I I knew that was the main purpose of the podcast, definitely felt the anxiety coming up in me. And and that was my opportunity to really feel into it and use that growth that I've worked on in the last five years or so. So so what um, my overview of effect experience relates to a series of injuries I had. Um, Started about 2016, I just injured my back surfing and uh, rehabbed it myself and I was good. Injured it surfing again, rehabbed myself and I was good. Third time uh, I injured it exactly the same spot. It was a a disc herniation, L5, S1 disc, very common injury for men in Australia. Uh, Injured it lifting a log and I just could not get back to health. And, uh, and that was the start of, of my little process. So at the time, my professional career was in emergency services and emergency response. So I'd spent time as a lifeguard. Um, I'd worked in underground search and rescue. At the time of the injury, I was firefighting in Western Australia and flying back to New South Wales where I lived. So I couldn't work anymore. I had to take about three months off work. And, and I, I didn't realize at the time I was questioning a whole heap of things about my life but not following through with that questioning Uh, so the way I was brought up is you're sick you go to the doctor you're injured you go to the doctor and it's their job to fix you and I'd never never questioned that until this point and so of course I went to the doctor and and I just went down the normal path of of getting practitioners to fix me and no one could fix me to the point where I couldn't get out of bed in the morning. I, my, my partner had to dress me. I couldn't hinge at the hips. I couldn't touch my knees. My disc was herniated so far at the left side, it was resting on the nerve pack to my left leg. Wow. And nerve pain takes over your whole body. Back pain takes over your whole body. And, uh, and I was in total agony. Went down the path of corticosteroids in my back, um, you know, needles into the spine, nothing, nothing worked. And... I turned to surgery and I had back surgery, which looking back at it, 
I, I would never take that experience away because I've learned so much. But yeah, damn, it's not, I would not have surgery for that these how, days. How old were you? Uh, at the time, I was 30, 31. 31, having back surgery. 31. Um, in the middle of this period, um, my wife fell pregnant as well. So dealing with huge life changes, you know, not knowing if I could ever go back to the job that I was doing at the time, that this job that I loved and my whole professional career was based around that industry, mm. questioning, do I have skills to, to do something else? Do I have to sit in an office because I'm not going to be able to move? All these big life questions coming to me. Had the surgery and um, got myself back to health. Went back to work. And uh, a couple of weeks later, the pain comes back. And this surgery is one of the, the least uh, successful common surgeries in Australia. The, the percentage of people having their pain come back is really high. And I was in that category. And then those thoughts start coming back again, you know, questioning those constructs around the medical fraternity and, and what they're there for. Are they just there to make me better? Or possibly is it more my responsibility to make mm. me better? And so I, I seeked out something a little bit more alternative. I, um, I had an MRI and yet my herniation had come back, not as bad as before. And I, I just had this, my overview effect moment. I, I got the results back from my doctor a disc had herniated again and I just thought there's, there's no way I'm going down that same path I'm, I'm not going to make the same mistakes my partner Olivia was incredible she's a naturopath clinical nutritionist very very intelligent woman and she could have told me years ago when we met that you know maybe you should question your your values around health and and a lot of other things, but she, she let me explore that in my own time, <laughs> which she has the patience of a saint. Incredible. <laughs> yeah. And when I, when I talked to her about it and I said, look, I'm, I'm going to seek out something else. I'm going to seek out something that I feel rather than something I'm told mm. on how to get back to health. She, she was ready for that conversation about five years before. So mm -hmm. she, she was very supportive. Um, she helped me work through a whole heap of big decisions. And I, I ended up seeing uh, a friend who I, not a friend, I I'd connected with him when we lived in Sydney a few years before, just through mutual friends. And he was a, a Czech practitioner, which is, it's a little bit alternate, but you know. Is that Paul Czech? Paul Czech, okay. yeah. Okay, yep, cool. Yep, so he's a Czech practitioner. And, and I committed to that for about three months with him. And... I was going there to relieve my back pain thinking, yeah, I'll, I'll try something a little bit alternate, you know, I'll, I'll be open to it. And we didn't, we didn't do anything with my back for three months. And I thought, yeah, three months is such a long time. I'll be healed. I'll be back surfing. I'll be back working. We, we hadn't even looked at my back and I loved it. I absolutely loved every session we had. I just, I, I wanted to go once a day if I could. What sort of stuff was it? Mate, it completely opened me up as a human, as a man, as a partner. So the, I'm going to get this wrong for every Czech practitioner out there and they'll be, they'll be yelling at, at the speakers when I say this. But in my interpretation of it, their, their philosophy is that you can't heal the physical body unless you heal all the other parts of the body. Start with the mental first, 
work into the emotional, touch on the spiritual, and then get into the physical. And what Nick really, really allowed me to understand is that I didn't injure my back surfing twice and I didn't injure my back lifting a log. I injured my back years ago from holding so much stress, anxiety, trauma in these areas of my body, all different parts of my life. Uh, when, when I first got there and explained my injury to him, he didn't need scans, he didn't need anything. He just needed to talk to me. And he wrote some notes down. And then a couple of weeks later, he just, uh, I asked him, you know, when are we going to start doing some exercises? <laughs> and he said, man, we're not going to do exercises yet. You need to work through your family trauma and, and your constructs and, wow. and your thoughts around finances. <laughs> just like, well, <laughs> excuse me, <laughs> what are you talking about? And he's like, well, that, that's, that's where you're holding that trauma in your body. It's, you know, each, each part of your body holds trauma for different reasons. And, and we're going to work through your family trauma first. And I was like, oh, God, yeah, I'm, really, I'm, I'm trying here, but this guy's pretty kooky. Mm. You know, that's not me. I've got no family trauma. <laughs> and then we just opened that can. And a couple of months later, I, you know, I'm finding myself going for what I thought is a physical session, you know, might be lifting some weights, doing some Swiss ball stuff, and I'm laying on the floor of his gym, smashing pillows and screaming and, mm. and working through trauma about my past family history and things that I'd held for so long. And so working through that was a totally transformational experience, not just for me as a person and growing myself, but that's my, that is my overview effect of my life. I've, I was able to question not just those things I was working through with Nick, but hey, this translates to everything. Have I, in every part of my life, have I just been rolling through with the blinkers on? and just going through the motions or have I felt into it? Have I actually switched off that thinking brain as we were talking about before mm. and connected with those feelings and what's my true feelings on that? And do I show up in everyday life in that aspect of my life with true feelings or just with those thoughts that I've been channeled into thinking? Mm. And so from that, I worked with Nick for two years. <laughs> Again, you know, thinking it was three months was a huge commitment two years and I, I got myself not back to just physical strength, but I got stronger than I was before. I'd, I'd worked out my values as a person. He, uh, he had me write down my values on the first session with him. And I wrote down characteristics that I thought I had. I had no idea what values were. You know, I thought I wrote down, oh, people say I'm honest. <laughs> just so shallow. You know, and, and probably trying to please him as well without really thinking about what the question was, what it meant to me. And now my values are so important to me. They inform every decision of my day and my family life at home mm. as, as with my partner as well. We have personal values. We have family values as well. I bring those into the work that I do. Um, it's it's kind of hard to call that work because it's just so enjoyable and it's it's nothing like I've ever done in my life what I'm doing now but that's all driven by my values as well mm. and it and those sessions with Nick and the, the two years I spent just gave me so much clarity about life and living and how I want to do it from from then on 
Yeah, wow. And that sent you down the path of what you're doing now, right? So the Wim Hof method and breath work and the ice work. That's right. Yeah. So when I started with Nick, uh, I was back in pain and I I didn't know how to manage that pain at the time because I, I wanted to steer clear from everything I'd done before, from pain relief, from steroid injections. And I realized quickly those, those first sessions with Nick, we're, we're going to go slow. And he gave me a few stabilizing exercises to build some strength, but I was still in pain. And I just turned to a few things. Again, it gave me the opportunity to educate myself in, in where I wanted to be. And I found the Wim Hof method. And I'd, uh, I sat down to do three rounds of the breathing and at the time there was no YouTube clips, there was no app. So I had my phone next to me, I'm laying down and, and uh, my, you know, my wife had to help me get down on the ground at the time because I was back in pain <laughs> and I couldn't bend it. Thinking I'm gonna do three rounds, I did two rounds and my, my mind was blown. I, it's so hard to put that feeling into words. And my joy now is that I have people come in for the first time and they have that experience that I had. And you don't need to put it into words because mm. it's a feeling. It's a mm. feeling that you get where, one, yep, I was out of pain instantly. I was able to get up off the ground. I was walking around the house. I didn't feel like I had pain. And, and that lasted about two hours. It, it, didn't, it wasn't sustaining, but it gave me two hours of just joy and mm. happiness. Gave you a glimpse. Yeah. Yeah. But it was so much more the mental side of it. I just felt free of anxiety. I'd had all the weight of the world crashing down again. You know, looking down this tunnel of, wow, am I ever going to be able to do the things I love? Am mm. I going to have to change my life to deal with back injury in my early 30s and maintain that for the rest of my life? And all those things just drifted away. And I just had this expansive feeling where, no, that's not right. I can, I can do anything I want. I just got to follow my feelings, feel into it and, and actually connect with those feelings not mm. not just say this is how i feel but actually have those feelings come up through me and acknowledge mm. them and that's what i loved about it there was a couple of other things too you know i i uh very simple thing i just laid on an acupressure mat as much as i could that relieved a lot of pain um yeah so just finding those things for myself and even the act of just coming across those things that worked it was so so freeing for me to say hey i I can heal my body. Mm. I can do it. Yeah, I need a little bit of help, but I know I know what my body needs. Yes, yes, yes. Oh my gosh, I love it. And and yeah, there's there's two things there for me. I think. I mean, there's a lot, but two things come up for me when I'm hearing you tell that story. Is like one is that unlike, I guess, a traditional, not traditional, a um, a current approach to health which is to treat the symptoms right you you know you have back pain you go see a back specialist you have knee pain you go see an osteo you have an ear pain you see an ear specialist whatever and it's really really treating the symptoms and you know trying to relieve symptoms or pain like you said pain relief um what you learned through the work that you did with your friend and then through the wim hof method is to um to put the body in a state to where it cre- creating the conditions for it to heal itself you know it's like shifting the state of the body shifting the conditions rather than trying to kind of put out spot fires so to speak it's like through the breath through the emotional through all the 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 
getting your body into a state where it can recover and repair on its own you know and there's like a i think there's like a farming analogy that comes up for me there it's like with regenerative farmers i kind of hear them talk about viewing the world in a similar way um you know like i've had charliana on this podcast before and he, he kind of talked about his farm he would go out there and every day when he was farming the industrial way he'd go out there and try to kill stuff it, you know a, a pest would come in he'd spray a pesticide weeds would come in and he'd spray a herbicide you know he needed to get more nitrogen onto his plants he'd hit it with fertilizer you know which was really just like kind of trying to put out spot fires trying to band-aid solutions and it wasn't until he shifted his mindset to go how can i tend to the soil and the ecosystem here to create the conditions such that beautiful natural products can grow in in tune in flu in in flow with the way things are supposed to be and like i'm hearing a similar analogy with you and and how you shifted your your way of your health from external you know symptom band-aiding to shifting it within yourself to allow your body to actually heal itself like that's that's a shift right Mm. that's a beautiful thing and the other thing is that um i'm hearing you say is like you got a sense of agency you know rather than being reliant on externals on you know whatever specialists or this person or this person or or whatever treatment you got a sense of responsibility like ability to respond within yourself like and you felt that that must have been empowering so empowering instead of going oh my god i did my disc again i'm gonna have to go do this surgery or see this doctor again or whatever it is it's like oh I can do something about this. I'm not reliant on some sort of external treatment or circumstance or individual. I can actually have some input into my own health and the way I'm doing this. And then that can flow over to other areas of my life. More importantly too, I think you've got a responsibility to do it. Yeah. I can see that now I've come through that experience. But if, you, if you're a person still in the depths of that still sitting in the fire of your stressful life and not having time to look after your own health you go to a health practitioner of whatever modality and you pay them it's just a business transaction and you're expecting something in return Mm. you're expecting health in return but that's that's that disconnect what are they there for you need to you need to understand in yourself what they're there for and, and how you can utilize that and getting back to what you said about Charlie as well, that's a great analogy. And, and I can see how that resonated with, with my experience. And it, with Charlie as well, it's understanding the why. Why are the pests there? Why are the weeds there? Mm. Because you could spray the shit out of that farm your whole life. Mm-hmm. And that pest or that weed will still be there. You haven't changed the environment. You haven't tended to the soil. If you understand why they're there, you can go back further, further in the piece. Why they're coming why they're growing, whatever it is, why you're injured, understanding that to break that cycle from the start. Mm. That's a shift. That's, that's, that's an, it's, it's, it's not just about bodily health. Then is it like the body, the body and the health of the body becomes the vehicle for this much broader understanding, this much broader shift in perspective from going, you know, how do I solve this problem and how do I solve this problem? How do I solve this problem? It's actually going, starting to see the world and go, how are these linked and what, how am I actually contributing to this 
rather than this has happened to me it's like how am i actually contributing to this and mm. so what's my agency and the my responsibility to positively impact this yeah that's 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 an amazing shift and then there's something in in the 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 breath like the i love the I have a love-hate relationship with the ice. I've only done it twice. <laughs> I can't say I've always amped to do the ice, but the breath work is incredible. And in in the breath, maybe maybe I might start by asking you, just share a little bit about physiologically what's happening in our bodies when we go through the, the breath and the ice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, can you share a little bit physiologically about how that benefits us and gets us out of, I guess, I don't know, a state of what we're normally in and shifts us into a different phase? Yeah. So in a nutshell, in our sessions, we always do the breath work first and then finish with the ice. So in our, in our breath work, um, we go into five or six rounds of the breath work. As we're, we're breathing, we do, you know, two or so minutes of faster more energetic breathing than you normally do deeper you're bringing in a lot more oxygen than usual you're blowing off carbon dioxide we have a breath hold and then we have a recovery breath Um, physiologically what's happening is we're changing the chemistry of the body in in the first round in, in two or so minutes with that increase in oxygen and the decrease in carbon dioxide we're instantly going into a state of alkalinity in the body and we can see that by just peeing on a stick before we do the breath work and most of us will probably be acidic just the lifestyles that we live and then if you could pee after the first round you know two and a half minutes later you'll see that you're alkaline almost instantly wow as we go further into the breath work we'll we'll get deeper into that state of alkalinity our oxygen levels are more saturated and the third part is when we do the breathing we spike a cytokine which is a type of protein called interleukin 10 and it's our body's most potent anti-inflammatory. And the cool thing about it is when it spikes, it also dampens the response of the pro-inflammatories. And our body loves to inflame stuff, right? We, we love inflammation. It's, it's got its uh, pros as well, like it protects us um, and it, it initiates that part of healing. But what we're not good at is reducing that inflammation to facilitate that healing. So with those three things, we, we create this environment after the breathing where we're in the state of alkalinity, which is allows our body this deep rest and repair. We have a lot more oxygen traveling around the body, which facilitates that repair. And then we've got our anti-inflammatory cytokine just peaking and dampening the pro-inflammatory responses. So one of the main benefits people get from the breath work is if you have an acute injury right through to a chronic disease that you can feel. Um, so obviously injury you can normally feel. Um, the examples I normally give of chronic disease that you can feel are things like arthritis, you know, inflammation of the joints. People can really feel that one. Crohn's disease. People can feel that and how it affects their body. Mm. And after just 20 minutes of this breath work, you can get up off the floor and feel the difference. You can feel that reduction in inflammation. And I had no idea at the time with my back what was going on. Mm. My male logical brain I always have to put my own logic on things and yeah, I know, I know exactly what's happening. (laughs) And I just told my wife, oh, it's just this 20, I did like 20 minutes of breathing. I was just moving my chest a lot and that created space in my spine and yeah, that's why I feel good. (sighs) 
had nothing to do with that. <laughs> Those three things that I mentioned, they're, they're creating that beautiful environment for healing in the body and allowing the body to do what it's meant to do. We, we, we don't allow that in everyday life. So if we, if we go for a run on the beach and we twist our ankle, our, our body does the right thing. It sends fluid there and protects that. What that's meant to do is just protect that till we get to a safe space. So we get home and we can rest. But then we're meant to be able to reduce that inflammation and start the healing process. Mm. But anyone who's had a bung ankle or a bung knee will know that the fluid just stays there because we're parked in this stressful environment and we don't allow our body to go through these processes. If we can just get to this state of internal healing, which our body knows how to do, I mean, hospitals haven't been around that long yeah. in the scheme of things. Yeah. You know, medical help has not been around that long. We know how to heal ourselves, but our current environment we live in doesn't allow us to. Mm-hmm. So that's one huge benefit of it. So people that, that have an injury, an ailment, a disease they can feel, they get instant benefit from this. And I was one of those people as well. Mm. Um, we also go into a state of blood doping as well, which is where the, the athletic side of things comes in. So a lot of professional sports teams get into this practice as well. Blood doping is simply where we put our body in a state where we can secrete EPO naturally, a hormone which is the precursor to creating red blood cells. Um, People used to go up to altitude training to get Mm -hmm. this over a period of weeks. We do it in 20 minutes of breath work as well. That's the the main physical side of the breathing, but the mental, emotional and spiritual sides is, wow, that is where the profound experience comes in. Yes, and and that's exactly where I was going to go as well. It's like, it's almost like, I don't know. We we on on one level we need to know that there's some sort of you know like physiological, scientific, like you know measurable performative benefit of it. But really, what we actually care about is, holy shit, that made me feel this as I did it, or I had this kind of vision, or I went to this place as I did it. And that's the really special thing. And we, we can't measure that. We can't quantify that. We can't explain that. And like you, you said it per, like perfectly before, you can't actually put words to it. It's like the English language or any language, which are just labels, like don't really have the capacity to explain it sometimes. We do our best. We stumble through words to try, but it's actually more, you can just kind of feel it. And then when you're in a group of people, that all just seems to be amplified because you kind of feel it from one another and you kind of get a sense, you see it in other people's eyes and the way they hold themselves and the feeling, the energy between the room. You're like, fuck, something special happened here. I don't exactly know what it was and I can't explain what it was, but I felt it. And that's the really special thing. You experienced it this morning. Yeah. And do do I need to explain it to you? No. Yeah, (laughs) you felt it. You felt it. You know what I think is so interesting is you touched on it there. We need to know the physiological stuff to kind of pick our interest Mm. and go, yeah, there's something to that. There's science behind it. There's data behind it. Mm. I'm the same. Our society, our our culture in Australia, I'd say we're generally the same. The people that come to my workshops or my sessions, they want that. They're interested in that too. And I see the necessity for it. But on the flip side, do we need that? Mm. What we're doing, what, what Wim has discovered, or not discovered, but what Wim practiced decades ago, it's got subtle differences to breath practices that have been around for centuries or millennia. And do those cultures need data? 
Mm. Do they need pilot studies and confirmation studies and peer-reviewed studies? Do do they need to see the proof of what it does to your body? No, they they felt it. They passed it on through their culture. They got taught it by their elders. They practiced it as kids and they felt it. And that's all they needed. Mm. They didn't need to know all the ins and outs. And then my... I suppose my facilitation method has started to adopt some of that. I used to sit there at the start of a workshop. You've sat my workshop. Mm. And I used to sit there at the start for about an hour and 20 minutes and go so deep into the studies and the science. Mm. And that, that was, you know, only two years ago. And then I kind of I sat there at home one, one afternoon after a workshop and I thought, shit, that's not me. Yeah. <laughs> that's not me. I'm... I feel like I've sunken back into that pre-overview effect, Benny, mm. where I've just, I'm regurgitating something that I've been channeled into and I'm not feeling into it. And since then, my workshops are so much more free-flowing and I'll feel off the people there. You know, if I've got a certain group, for instance, of, of a sporting team, I can totally skew what I'm saying to them. But even in a group of just average punters that come in from all over the place, I'll just feel into the energy of what the group's putting out. And if I feel like I'm yabbing on, we'll just get straight in to the breath work. Because at the end of the day, it's about feeling it. It's about the more intrinsic things that we can't explain through science. And for God's sakes, we shouldn't have to. Yeah. We should just feel that. You know, and the funny thing about it is that, and I come from a STEM background, and it's like obviously science and, and the scientific method has absolutely has its place in you know advancing our understanding of specific things but mm-hmm. but in doing the in like quoting all the all the all the studies all the data all the benefits two things are happening one is that we're again going external we're seeking that like external confirmation or validation from some voice of authority that what we're doing is right you know and so from that place we're kind of saying well if the data changed, would we stop doing this work? Do you know? Like, mm. <laughs> like that's not the reason we're doing it. So there's, there's kind of that thing. And then we're actually also, we're also perpetuating, we're actually feeding the, the idea that we need the data or we need the, you know, the, the numbers or the physiological proof. By, by quoting it, we're actually, we're actually feeding that cycle that we need it. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Rather, like, rather than just going, we're doing this because we can feel it. You know, there's, for some reason, what, what just came into my head, one of my favorite movies is Contact. You know, the old school mm-hmm. movie with Jodie yeah. Foster. Jodie Foster and Matthew McConaughey, and he's the priest and she's the scientist. And they kind of battle throughout the, the movie about like kind of religion and science. And, um, and she's, there's this one scene where she's like blowing up at him because you know she doesn't believe in god and you know she's like where's the proof and he just looks at her and says did you love your father and she goes what he goes did you love your father and she goes of course i did and he goes prove it you know like do we need the proof or can we just trust our own gut and our own intuition and our own feelings on something sometimes Mm. that's the other side that we've lost sometimes so yeah, it's funny. I mean, I, I still, I'm the same as you. I still like, I, I just asked you before and I still want to know like, oh, what's happening in the body? What are the physiological benefits? But even if there were none, even if you just said nothing is happening in the body and nothing is changing, 
I'd still do it because I can feel the benefit You'd of it. Feel good, hey? Yeah. 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 But it's a funny thing. We yeah. seem to need that kind of external validation sometimes. But maybe we're shifting. Mm. And yeah, and to be clear, I still cover, you know, physiology and, and yeah. the science in the workshops. I, I still think it's important. But yeah, I definitely focus more on the intrinsic side of it, you know, the mental emotional some people have spiritual experiences i mean this morning um one of the rugby guys that attended had a spiritual experience he's able to access that endogenous dmt in his body you know seeing colors and stars and feeling like Mm. he's on a convey all these beautiful things you know and that's what i I spend a bit more time on these days Mm. love it love it and there's something about the like breathing as well for me that you know, breathing is, it, it's, breath is like a life, it's the life force, right? You know, like, we, we sit here, we're a bag of molecules, you know, like, if we were to take microscopic tweezers and pick off every atom and molecule and, and put them into a pile, like, chemically, it would be exactly the same, but we wouldn't be alive. Yet here I am in this makeup, and there you are in that makeup of molecules, and for whatever reason, we're alive, you know, and part of us being alive is breathing, and so so like breath is a life force so the the breath work kind of brings us back to that you know like it gets us out of like you say the monkey mind and that analytical mind it gets us back to like ah this is this is me being alive and you know i've been kind of reflecting on breathing and breath work since i did your first workshop and over the last couple of years, something that came up for me is like over the last couple of years, it feels like not just couple, but it feels like there's been this real attack societally on our focus to breathe. Like you think about we had the fires, you know, and all the smoke and smog from all the fires. We've had COVID, which, you know, obviously attacks the lungs and our ability to breathe. With that, we had masks, you know, like, you know, covering the face we've had floods especially in this region and then like you know from the floods mold and that affects um even with the 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 black lives matter protests in america and george floyd you know the slogan was i can't breathe you know the guy like literally mm-hmm. got choked to death and it just feels like we are being called to tap into you know our breath it's like everything at the moment seems to be coming back to our ability to breathe and that like metaphorically for me isn't just about the breath it's like it's it's about i don't know stepping into our our embodying who we are and stepping into our natural life force Mm. there's something special there yeah totally made it yeah and it's especially for this region as well obviously the world has a number of those points you just mentioned but the fires wow that seems like a lifetime ago doesn't it after what we've endured in the last three years up in our little part of the world here and i know i know they covered most of the east coast um yeah i to go back onto the science part of it you, you are totally right i mean from the science point of view what what you said is exactly right as well we we are only in the infancy of really working out what the breath does and take that back to what you said about Charlie and his farm. 
we are now starting to question the why. Mm. And the breath is where we're at. You know, we're, we're finally getting information around the breath, getting studies around the breath. And that, that's going back further in the piece because the breath, the breath is our life, right? It's our life force. We, we breathe 20 odd thousand times a day and we don't think about nearly any of them unless we do something like we did this morning. Mm. And if we don't take that into account in our health and what's happening in our bodies, we've just jumped the gun. We've jumped further in the piece. But if we can study the very thing that gives us life force, what goes into our body every day, that's going to give us more of a clue about what's happening down the track in our health. And yeah, we can, we can go even before that and talk about the quality of our air because that comes before the breath. That's what we're breathing in. Mm. That's great as well. That's getting further down the track. If we just start studying the body itself and what's, what's happening in there, how we can treat it, yeah, we're just back to, that, back to that square one. It's important. It's important to study those things and know. And that's where a lot of the medical practice comes in, trying to fix those symptoms and fix the pain. But yeah, we, we got to go further back in the piece. Mm. And the breath is, there's no better place to start. Ancient cultures have known for a long time how important it is. They have their own breath practices. Mm. They have their own ceremonies based around breath such a sacred thing such an important thing we're just getting there now yeah and you can do it anytime you want anytime on your own you don't need to go anywhere you don't need like it's it's yours and it's not like no one else can do it for you and people come to my workshops and i just show them one way to do it there is infinite ways to do it and you can make your own way from what i show you Mm. and then that's it you've got it for life Mm. it doesn't cost you a cent yeah go and do it whenever you want people just come on days like today just to get together in a community experience the energy of a group which is totally different but other than that breathe your heart away it's all free (laughs) how good how good how good and there's an element of discipline as well and put in the work like responsibility and discipline and like wanting to 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 do it right you can't just that's the other thing as well like it gives us agency and responsibility but it also with that comes the work because we can't just go oh, well i'm going to go see this person or this authority that's going to hopefully do it for me you know look after me mm. right there's an element of like you want to look after yourself you actually have to then look after yourself so there's two things there it's like yeah agency and responsibility but also like discipline mm. you know we've got to step into that yeah 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 with with that autonomy definitely comes responsibility (laughs) hey i want to ask you as well i'm going to flip it a little bit there might be some parallel through lines here but we also wanted to talk about the floods we just mentioned it just before and you you have a background in um you know disaster relief and firefighting and and um, this kind of work and then you played a really central role as a first responder and through the floods can you tell us, yeah, a bit about your experience going through the floods, how you kind of responded and, yeah, how, how things kind of played out in your world? Yeah, mate. I, to start with that, the experience of the floods this year would have been vastly different if I didn't have the experience of my back injury five years ago and learn from that and grow from that. I actually don't know what that would have looked like during the floods, but it would have been vastly different. Mm. I, um, I, f- I found myself in a, a kind of unique position. I was where I live on the plateau between 
Ballinor and Lismore, we were fine. No flooding there. But I found myself wedged between um, some major flooding in Lismore and that the river flows out through Ballina, through, you know, different towns. And I had the skills from my, basically my whole professional career. I was at home. I didn't have, you know, any work, any plans on around that time. I, I just found myself in a, a pretty unique position. I, um, in a nutshell, I spent the first day of the floods in the Lismore area. So I'm, I just concentrated down the southern end of the Northern Rivers. I mean, up your way, devastating flooding as well, but I didn't have any hand in what was going on up there. Mm. And we're, we're talking a, a, a vast difference here, like three major rivers. One flows out the Tweed, one flows the Brunswick, one fro- flows the Richmond in Ballina. And, and we're talking down to Evans Head, almost Yamba. It's like 150 k's worth of difference and all inland. It's it's very big distance. So I was focused around Lismore, Ballina. I, I spent the first day on my mate's boat. Um, his name's Sully. He's a pro fisherman. Could not have had a better person to skipper a boat in a disaster like that. Mm. He had a perfect boat for it. Um, we spent the day just picking people off roofs. Wow. And then a lot of, there was so many civilian boats. It was incredible. And um, late afternoon, all the people on roofs had been rescued, which wow. was great. But that's when I suppose the more heavier experiences came along. People that couldn't get onto their roofs, still trapped inside. Um, and we continued throughout the afternoon till about nine o'clock at night doing that. There's only a handful of boats on the water then. And such an eerie experience. We'd, we'd launched the boat and done about five hours in absolutely torrential rain, just horrible conditions. And then right on twilight, you know, the stars came out, it was clear sky, the water was still, it was just surreal. Whoa. And then the following days, uh, the water's obviously traveling downstream and, and our, our government services just aren't set up for that. Mm. We're, we're rural area, some areas classes remote up here just the lack of resourcing i suppose from government and uh i I just put something on social media on the tuesday um to at the time i had 140 followers i'd only (laughs) i got on social media 28 days before the flood hit well because i just wanted to start you know promoting my my breath work and and ice bath work i suppose Mm. and i put something on because i knew a lot of my a lot of those people that followed me were close friends or people who I'd done workshops with and some of them lived in Ballina and there was just no messaging coming out. So no messaging to warn people about what was coming. Obviously that, that water flows down river. You don't have to be a rocket science, rocket scientist to understand that, but there was no messaging at all coming out from the SES. Wasn't up to scratch in my opinion anyway. So I, I put some out on my, my social media and things just went from there. Um, my my wife was instrumental in that first day on Lismore. She was coordinating just through social media, people who couldn't get onto triple O or who had and had been stuck in their homes for eight hours or more. And they were putting their information, their location on social media. My wife was directing us to them and we were getting people out that the services just couldn't because they were inundated. Mm. Um, so she had um, put my number out there to some people and, and that got circulated around and then, you know, over the next few days, I just found myself in this really unique position where people were calling me 
to give me updates or tell me where people needed to be rescued because they just didn't have faith in the government systems. Mm -hmm. And it's not the people on the ground up here. It's not their fault. You know, I know a lot of them. They're absolute legends. A lot of them are volunteers. Like you cannot knock a volunteer. Mm. It's not their fault, but they're just not set up for it. They're, their uh, organization isn't set up for it. So I, I found myself, in a sense, coordinating that from a civilian point of view. And that absolutely snowballed to the point where in that civilian effort, we had off-duty emergency service personnel working in a civilian capacity, wow. doing what they wanted to do. Um, from the very start, if, if you have any experience in crisis, and emergency management, you could see that this was not a local or a state emergency. It was national. We, we needed the help of an agency like the military. And I was calling out for that from you know day two. And in New South Wales, we're governed by a whole set of rules, even the, at federal level. In an emergency, we're governed by this set of rules. And, and the SES find themselves in charge in a storm or flood. And they just didn't have the capacity to manage yeah. that. So, yeah, uh, I suppose lo long story short there, I found myself just being the point of contact for a lot of people. Mm. Um, so many civilians doing epic things, people, cafe workers, stay-at-home mums, whoever, just doing their best, pulling people out of landslides, creating pulleys with ropes across oh, broken-down bridges. Amazing. Um, private helicopters rescuing people, dropping supplies. We got our hands on a hundred Starlink satellites, dropped them out to remote areas, hooked up our own satellite systems. <laughs> it just, it went from baby steps to, you know, leaping to the moon within three or four days. Wow. Um, to the point where in only about five days, um, I had the heads of government organizations, the deputy police commissioner of New South Wales, the premier of New South Wales, calling me on my my phone you know asking how they can help what really? what do they need to do where do they need people because wow. they just didn't have what was needed in that emergency yeah um the best thing the best thing that happened is i i declined a whole heap of media opportunities i just i wanted nothing to do with it mainstream media is not a part of my life and mm. i didn't want to join it then and then for some reason i i felt into that and i thought well fuck, we don't have what we need. Maybe I can go on and just tell them what we need. And they wanted, a, they wanted a hero story to sell their, whatever they sell, you know, make their money and sell their ads. And um, so I agreed to give them that. I, I talk, talked about a rescue that we did. We, we got this old lady out of her house. We floated her out through a window. It's definitely a wonderful success story mm. on the proviso that I could tell my story about what we needed. Um, and they got me on there. They you know, painted me as a hero and then cut me. Oh. And uh, I was so angry. I took to social media. Again, I had bugger all followers. I think I'd increased to about 200 by this stage. Mm -hmm. And I put a, a five-minute video out and, and that's what really went pretty crazy. Got, got shared. Friends overseas were seeing it just randomly from their friends who lived overseas and had no idea who I was. And, and that was fantastic. That was on Sunrise. And I mean, how many people listen to Sunrise? Maybe two, three hundred thousand in the morning, mm. probably not the demographic that's going to help us anyway. Um, they screwed me over, but in turn, they got, they got us so much help because mm. that message I did afterwards on social media spread far and wide. We had so many offers of help that the human spirit shone through like nothing I've ever seen before. 
we had people coming from all over Australia on their own backs, providing their own accommodation, bringing crews of workers, paying their workers themselves. It was just incredible. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Do you think that video that you put out that, yeah, went viral, um, why do you think that was so popular and so widely shared? I had a, I put the information in there, you know, which is what journalism should be about, putting information out Mm. for people to make their own judgments. So I put information from the ground out there, which I think a lot of people weren't getting. Um, You know, the reason I got cut from Sunrise was to go to a more important story. And that story was uh, one of their reporters standing on the North Richmond Bridge. Now, I grew up in the Hawkesbury. I know that bridge so well. That bridge goes under, or used to go under every year. And they're making a big song and dance about that bridge nearly going under. And when that bridge go on, goes under, not a single home goes under. Mm. But it restricts the traffic in Sydney. Oh, right. You know? Okay, yeah. And it was just that that perception to me of, of, of what's important to people. Yeah. And so I got some stories out about what's actually going on up here because people weren't seeing that through mainstream media. I think that helped a lot of people open their eyes up to what was going on here. Mm. There was no, uh, there was no cloudiness to that. I had videos and photos of the actual day and I kept putting those up. Yeah. People really resonated with that. And then also I think with my background, explaining a short part about my skills and what I've done, how shocking this experience was, even with that 12 years of professional background in emergency services, And then I gave a few short points about what we needed and that was it. Mm. And from, from that, so many offers of help Mm. for what we needed. Yeah. And people saw that, you know, the comments on that post were in the thousands of just, can we give this? Can we send that? People realized we, we actually didn't need our government at that time. Mm -hmm. Our government weren't doing anything. They're actually hindering us. Yes. Yes. And the spirit of community was so profound. People just wanted to be a part of it. And even if they couldn't help, they would just put messages of love and support on that, put their phone number on that and said, if anyone just needs to talk, call me because I can't do anything else. Yeah. All these things. Man, it just goes to show like we get, we get bombarded with all these doomsday messages all the time. And, you know, I understand there's a whole bunch of shit that we need to be (laughs) mindful of that we're we're doing to this planet and the way we're living so i'm not trying to trying to say that there aren't you know real massive societal challenges we face but the 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 way it's portrayed is that we're all going to be kind of pitted against one another and you know there's going to be shortages and we're all going to be fighting for resources and all this kind of stuff like whether it's between nations or individuals or communities or whatever it is but it goes to show that when it's when we actually drop into who we actually are, you know, and it's delivered in an authentic way, and you are the voice that delivered delivered it from an authentic perspective without an agenda, you know, there was no, like, marketing or ad agenda or, like, self-serving, you know, government agenda that wants to be seen as the 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 organisations that co- that's coming in to save the day. You were just like, no, this is just what we need and what we're doing. And when it comes from that that place... 
our natural tendency is to want to completely help one another, you know, and I was, I was nowhere near as involved as you and, and many other amazing people were, but I, I did what I could at the time in my community. And what I saw was that it was just like the suspension of the, the masks and the roles that we all kind of play in our day-to-day lives, you know, that, that all just kind of dropped and we just all became humans and in that like we dropped into our humanity and we we were all just there to help one another in whatever way we could and that that was there was something really special in that like i don't want to this is the 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 strange like um the strange thing to hold when i reflect on the floods because there was obviously so much suffering and devastation i wouldn't wish that on anyone and at the same time there was this incredible beautiful spirit that came out of it and it's a shame that it takes the suffering to bring that out and that we don't have that all the time. But I think like the, the, there's, there was a magic there, you know, and I've even spoken to a few people post floods and they're like, oh, how do we just get that little bit of magic back? Like what was that and how do we, how do, uh, what was that and why do we not have that normally? Do you know what I mean? Mm. We, we touched on that this morning. So I think the majority of people want connection. Right, mm. we want it where we just live lives and have limits on ourselves and, and whatever that conditioning is that we're brought up with that maybe we need a purpose or we need something in common to connect and we see it here this morning we, we don't need anything we can just come together as a group of people and you can you can love each other that's fine that's allowed that's mm. encouraged and before the floods we i, I suppose we pit, we hit that peak in our community in it in our country of absolute non-connection oh yeah we totally we've physically forced apart from each other we're told not to not to talk we cover our face we can't touch we we are at the absolute peak in our whole history of non-connection and it's like you said it is so so deeply devastating what happened and to still see what's going on but I, I think it, something like that, it had something so deeply devastating had to happen to completely shake that system. We were at the absolute pinnacle of non-connection there. Mm. To break that, you know, the earth needs to move. Something has to happen. It gave people just, it gave people the license to go, okay, I'm going to throw out everything I've been told and everything that's been forced on me for the last two years I'm just going to fucking hug that person. Mm. They, they look like they need a hug. I'm just going to hug. And that's where my messaging went to. Like the rescue stuff kind of wrapped up after the eighth day. And that's a long time of rescue. Yeah. <laughs> that, is, that is a sustained rescue effort. Helicopters were still, still plucking people off homes about eight days later. Crazy. And they were, they were operating themselves. I, I had nothing really to do with them. Um, I was just trying to support where possible, but... After, after my ability to help people get rescued was done and the recovery effort really kicked in, my messaging kind of just revolved around just, fuck, let's, let's be happy, let's support each other. We were talking just the other day about Lismore becoming almost like a festival vibe. Mm. And I'm sure a lot of other towns did too. Because 
in each home you'd walk into to lend a hand or do whatever, it was absolute devastation. It was the heaviest feeling you could have. The owners were there sometimes or the owners might not even want to be there. And it was just the most solemn feeling you could ever get in your life, walking in and just seeing people's whole lives strewn around, especially a town like Lismore where people kind of set their roots and that's it. A lot of older people lived in the same house their whole life. Mm. So you go from that and then the streets were just this not disrespectfully happy but beautiful complimentary happiness Mm. where everyone still knew the gravity of the situation but the vibe was just elevated because that's what we needed we needed to walk out of that devastation through the front gate of whatever house we just tried to help and just have love and happiness flowing around and and yeah the closest thing we can explain that to is just just this beautiful festival vibe on every corner, there was either, you know, a, a food truck or a, a tent, a, a footy club sets up a tent and a barbecue or even just a mum and dad cooking sausages in the back. And they're not cooking for anybody in particular. Mm. You want one? Come and grab one. Mm. Have a chat. Have a cry. Have a hug. You know, tell a funny story. Whatever you want. But just build that connection and let's get back to it because, fuck, it's a long job. Yeah, <laughs> It's going to last a long time and we can't, we can't be in that devastation full time. Yeah. We, we need to flow between both. Yeah. Festival is a, a, a great word to describe it. And it doesn't mean celebration, doesn't mean festive, but it's like in a festival, we, we, we give up our day-to-day roles no, like I said before, the masks that we wear. This is the reason why people go to festivals. It's a, it's a suspension of their normal living conditions. They go to festivals and they can go and be whoever they want. They can go and dance and play and whatever. And the kind of, you know, societal structures, the, the hierarchies kind of fall away as well. Everyone's kind of the same at a festival. And, you know, historically festivals have played that role. They've been like the suspension of normal, you know, day-to-day, week-to-week life and that's even where you know the jokers the jesters can point front at the king and all that kind of stuff right so they play a really critical role in like our humanity and yeah it did feel like that in that we stopped having the those artificial boundaries that we put up you're right like you walk down i would walk down any street there'd be a guy just making he'd have his espresso machine out on the court out, out in his front yard and he'd just be making coffees just for anyone to walk past who walks past can pick one up and have one like when do we ever do that you know um you're right there were people that were they were shoveling shit and and clearing out you know people's all of people's livelihoods all their furniture but they were doing it with a smile because they felt like they were contributing to something they felt meaningful and purposeful and when like that was special it was really special and like i don't mean this in any disrespect whatsoever because the i didn't get flooded so i can't speak on behalf of people that did lose everything but i would think i would rather live in a world where there is suffering and events like that when we come when with that comes those beautiful humanistic traits as opposed to a really safe secure world but we're all kind of isolated and not connecting in that way 
you know, and I know that, I don't know, that might be perceived by some people as a, I don't know, maybe a controversial thing to say, but that was a really beautiful thing. And it showed, it got to the heart of like who we are as humans and, and what we're really looking for in terms of like connection to each other, but also connection to like contributing to society. You know, that mm. was really powerful for me in that. Mm. It was really palpable, the, the, the contrast as well between, as you said, the, 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 the way in like the, the complete contrast from that isolation, segregation, classification, you know, are you this, are you that, you know, what's your status to just, we're all in this together. And that was just like, it was so palpable. And yeah, I'm, I'm still kind of processing what that means. Cause it's, it's like, maybe we've, we've still got a little bit of that, but we've really, a lot of it has just snapped back to where we were. You know, so there's something in that. It's like, how do we get that all the time rather than just when, you know, natural disasters happen or massive pandemics or I don't know, when, when other things happen? How do we just bring that into our normal day-to-day living? Mm. And why haven't we got that? If that's our natural state when stuff goes crazy, if that's what we, we, we naturally fall into, then what is it about our, I guess, normal, quote-unquote normal way of life that pulls us away from that that's not so natural yeah i've got a few things on that a few few deeper things so it is hard to it is hard to know because especially in this area since i've been here on and off 20 odd years we haven't experienced something so devastating Mm. um australia's had a few devastating experiences as a whole i mean the East Coast was devastated by the bushfires, but it was so far-reaching. And and one town might be devastated, but towns around it weren't. And then it might be 200 Ks until the other town's devastated. Whereas up here, all those devastating... Uh, all those uh, towns that were devastated are in much closer proximity. Everyone's in this together, right? Mm. I say to a lot of people, the two floods we had, because if people don't know, we had two devastating mm. floods... 26 days apart Mm. fucking mind-blowing yeah what what uh what they did well first of all they hit in the worst place in australia we have just enough people here now to achieve what we did in this area we've we've grown enough where we basically achieved autonomy from our government in reacting, responding, and rescuing our citizens. Mm. But also, we're very vocal. Yeah. We are a vocal mob <laughs> up here. Oh, yeah. And then the third part of that is the last five years, and in particular the last two with COVID, there's been an influx of money mm. coming into this area. Property's gone disgusting, yeah. as we all know. But the shining light on that is we had money here and we were able to access it for whatever people think about the influx of money and the house prices, some of those people open their wallets Mm. freely. And we were able to, as a community, fund private helicopters for weeks on end, which are collectively upwards of a hundred grand a day. Wow. We had semi-trailers of supplies delivered whenever we wanted. We put the call out for anything, private, private planes to ship in medical supplies cool rooms, whatever, no questions asked, we got it. That was an incredible experience as well. Those three things, I think, 
really added up to the experience of the floods, how it was managed. What that did, the ripple effect throughout Australia and possibly throughout the world, people that were connecting over social media, is that they saw the ability of community, Mm. what we can do. And to bring that back to my my overview effect Mm -hmm. story, people started to have agency of themselves and go, hey, well, even in a disaster, maybe I can't rely on other people. Maybe I can step up and do something. Maybe even just me making 10 sandwiches and dropping them at the corner of the street. Yeah, I, I can't get on a shovel or I can't rescue people, but maybe there's something I can do. That's what really woke, woke people up, I think. Yeah. And I know that I'm seeing that from a point of view of someone in the area. And it's just the people who have contacted me or I've met on the grounds, but there has been a shitload of that happening. And influential people too. Influential people, whether it's people in media, um, people with significant social media followings, but getting really invested in what happened up here. Mm. I think that might be the turning point, like you said, where people can realize that, hey, we maybe we don't want to experience this. Maybe we don't need this natural disaster. But I, fuck, I want, I want to feel that connection again. I want mm. to feel part of something. And yeah, I live in Adelaide and, and there's, there's no disasters here, but maybe I can support my community because what those guys did on the Northern Rivers was epic. Mm-hmm. I, I felt that from half of the country away and I want that. And I, I've, I think that's really happening. Yeah. One, um, one really cool example is uh, there's a young fella just down the road at Evans Head who experienced, um, like we all did, the devastation of the floods. Um, he came to one of my first workshops after the floods, which was cool. His name's Bobby. Such a, such a legend dude. He's in his 20s, finding his way, finding out how to connect. He started a group, a men's group, working out down at Evans a couple of mornings a week. Anyone can pop in, very similar to the Bodie Boys at Lennox. But he just wants that connection. He found that connection in the floods and he's doing something about bringing that into his everyday life, but his community's everyday life as well. And that's, what, that's what's happening in our area. I think we're connecting a lot more. Definitely not to the depths we connected mm. in the crisis, but that's normal, I think. You yeah. know, everything goes out the window. Day jobs go out the window. Totally. It was unsustainable the way... Totally. That, yeah. yeah. Everyone burnt out afterwards because they were just giving everything that they had. Yeah, in the aftermath where, yeah, we're, we're coming together. Yeah, yeah. And, and you're right, there's a, there's, a, there's a link there, which I didn't plan, but I love you, you touched on it, bringing it back to you and your overview effect. There's a link there between the breath work and your story and like coming back to yourself, you know, and going, oh, I don't need all of these I can actually look after myself through, you know, my own body and my own journey and how I'm caring for my body. And there's a link there with the community. Like we can look after each other and we can actually take some agency, take some responsibility and we can, yeah, drop into this this natural state like we do with ourselves when we do the breathing, but we can actually do that from a collective, from a community, from a societal point of view. And we don't have to wait for others to come and rescue us. Mm. <laughs> metaphorically or yeah. literally yeah. like we can actually do that ourselves and with each other I'm testament to the growth after the flood as well I 
before the flood, we were very, my partner and I were very um, centered on our family life, which is a great thing. You know, we, we, we are very focused on our young daughters and, and our life and our well-being in that family unit but almost got too lost in that as well and had really put that expansion as people ourselves in a bit of a container. And yeah, the, the world, the last two years, it's kind of driven us that way. Mm. And after the, after the flood experience, um, dealing with my face being, you know, thrown <laughs> around people's phones was a really confronting experience. Mm. Um, it was hard enough to allow myself to go and get a coffee to relax. You know, in the weeks after the flood, I felt guilty as we all did. We felt guilty doing our everyday things or yeah. going back to work, but then to sometimes have my face recognized and people want to talk was, was incredibly confronting until I realized that was all internal, right? Mm. It's just, that's my, that's my issue. These people that like, I'm, I'm not a famous person. I haven't done anything incredible. I'm, I don't, I'm not on TV, I'm not in magazines, but they just wanted to connect as well. Mm. And that made me a lot, a lot more comfortable. And, and since then, when I got cool with that, my personal expansion in terms of bringing community to me and me going into communities, it just hasn't stopped. I feel like, I feel like my friend group has not even like way more than quadrupled, like maybe 10 times what I had. I was really, really focused on, on deep friendship connections and I kept them really tight. And that, that's great. That's a cool thing to do, but I can expand that. There is great people everywhere and I can connect deeply with someone for 10 minutes and have a great time. And if I never see them again, that's cool. Mm. Whereas beforehand, I was very insular. And in my head, I'd be like, yeah, this person's cool, but I'll probably never see them again. What's the point? <laughs> and now just allowing myself more time and allowing those connections just to grow naturally organically however they grow people might float in people might float out allowing myself the license to go and and join in other communities and yeah mm. that's that's been my growth since yeah i love it man i love it well you were you, you would you know synchronistically the right in the right place at the right time with the right background you had your your background in you know emergency and disaster relief right and and then you also had the kind of experience of this kind of more dropping into more natural humanistic you know the the breath and all that and then physically you were in the right, the right location like specifically i mean you were you, you were supposed to do that at that point in time you were there you were there for a reason yeah, and I, I, in that initial period, eight days or so, I definitely felt just in flow. Yeah. I felt like I knew the decisions to make. I knew where I needed to be. I knew what I needed to do. It, it was a great feeling in a really, a really tough environment to be in. Mm. Incredibly thankful for that experience. Mm. And still, still integrating yeah. the learnings that, that I had there. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, there's so many other things we could talk about, but I think we might land this one there for now. But um, thank you. Thank you for the time to come on and tell your story and share all of that. Thanks for having me this morning at the Conscious Club. That was awesome. And, of course, thank you so much for 
all of the work you did during the floods and everything you're giving the community, pulling community together, all the work you're doing, man, it's really important. And it's just so cool to see how you're facilitating that and creating community. So thanks, brother. Thanks, brother. I really appreciate that. And, uh, and I know there's hundreds and thousands of people just like you who put in a huge effort during the floods as well. And a lot of those efforts don't get acknowledged. So thank you. And to all those people that helped as well, just, just the same as you up, up at Moolabar, Lismore, Mullum. You're all goddamn legends. Yeah. Yeah. Thank There's you. So many good people out there. Holy cow. Yeah. It's been amazing. It's been amazing. Cool. Well, thanks, man. Thanks, brother. Until next time. <laughs>